From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. Law is a hierarchical field, and people like lists and rankings, but they've done a lot of harm. The ranking. So anything that gets us to collectively re-examine them and how much weight we put on them, I think is a good thing. Welcome to Season 10 of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Legal education has been in a state of flux the last few years, some caused by the pandemic and social change, some caused by systemic changes to testing and pushback regarding rankings. Miami Law Dean and Eminette Massey Professor of Law David Yellen joins us to discuss the developments. Good morning, David. Welcome to The Explainer. Thank you. Great to be here. So it seems like there's a lot going on in legal education these days. Where should we start? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I know a lot of people are interested in what's going on in the world of rankings. Mm. So maybe we should start there. It's a bunch of schools have announced that they are not participating in U.S. News rankings anymore. U.S. News undercut that effort by changing the rankings to now only rely on publicly available information other than this opinion survey they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a lot of ferment. I mean, it's good. I'm very happy about it because, look, I understand why the rankings exist. U.S. News is a for-profit entity. This is how they make their money. Law is a hierarchical field and people like lists and rankings, but they've done a lot of harm. The ranking. So anything that gets us to collectively re-examine them and how much weight we put on them, I think is a good thing. So there's some things going on with with testing and admissions. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. The big thing there is that the American Bar Association is the accreditor for law schools. And that work is done through what's known as the Council of the Section on Legal Education. Okay. And they recently voted overwhelmingly, I think it was 15 to 1, to eliminate the requirement in the standard standards that we use an admissions test for every student. To give a little background, you know, the LSAT has been the main test forever. And it's a very good test in many ways. More recently, the GRE has been used by a number of law schools as well, which is also a good test. Mm -hmm. And I don't think testing is going away, but the ABA is alone among all accreditors in the United States in requiring the use of an admissions test. So what what the council is proposing is basically just bringing us into alignment with med schools and business schools and every other field where it's up to the individual schools whether to use an admissions test, not to impose it as a rule. Now, so, but people are very divided on this. Law school deans are very divided on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, The council voted to eliminate the test requirement under the way the ABA works. It then went up to the House of Delegates, which rejected the decision of the council. (laughs) But also under the rules, the council gets the final word. So it's back in their hands. And if they want to stick to their guns, which I hope they do, they can still eliminate the the test requirement. Mm -hmm. Now, it's really important to note that this is taking place against the backdrop of the likelihood that the Supreme Court is going to this year ban consideration of race in college and professional school admission. And if that happens, it's going to be that much harder for us to have truly diverse 
law school classes. And one of the obstacles to having a diverse class is the fact that the LSAT and the GRE, like other standardized tests, has a disproportionate impact on people of color. So I think it would be, it will help promote diversity in higher ed and in legal education if the Supreme Court makes this decision to have more flexibility about whether we use an admissions test. Got it. Got it. All right. Do we want to talk about next gen bar exams? Sure. Uh, Similarly, like with admissions and like with rankings, there's a lot going on in the world of the uh, admission to the bar. Um, The bar exam, you know, for all of us older folks, it was a hurdle we had overcome many years ago. We never thought about it again. Although, interestingly, now being having moved to Florida, Florida is one of the few states where you can never wave into the bar. You have to take the bar exam. So here I am, I graduated from law school almost 40 years Uh ago. And if I wanted to get admitted to practice in Florida, uh, I'd have to take the bar exam, which I don't have time to do right now. Right. So that's the, that's the bar exam. Uh, You know, we have some great bar preps here. We do. (laughs) I'm glad to know that if I decide to take the bar exam, I have all the resources that I'll need here at the school. But uh, uh, the National Conference of Bar Examiners, which writes the main bar exam, is undertaking a project, what they're calling the next gen bar exam. And they haven't developed it yet, but I, but the gist of it is that it's going to be modified from the way the bar exam has been, probably fewer subjects, more focus on practical skills, you know, measuring whether students can do the kind of writing and analysis beyond a timed closed book bar examination. And I think that it has the potential to be a better bar examination. We'll we'll see. But also there are some other states, there are some states that are experimenting with other pathways to admission to the bar. Oregon is the best example. They're considering allowing people to be admitted either based on the experiential learning they do during law school or supervised practice that they do after graduation, kind of an apprenticeship model. And I'm really happy to see this experimentation. I, I think the bar exam is a is a flawed way of assessing who's ready to practice law. It has racially disparate impact. And although I applaud the National Conference for the work they're doing in making a better bar exam, I'm also happy to see some states thinking about other pathways. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, so did the pandemic change legal education and like who's going and why? Yeah, well, the biggest change for all of us in higher ed is that uh, we got had to get used to very quickly teaching online. And that's having long-term ripple effects. And uh, I'm I'm glad to see that. I've been involved in distance learning for many years, and I was educated about the pluses and minuses of distance education years ago in a prior job. And ultimately, uh, legal education is going to remain a mostly in-person thing, but there's a lot of room for good use of distance learning. And the jumpstart that happened because of COVID, uh, I think, is leading a lot of schools, including ours, to consider what programs can be well executed online. What does blended learning look like? You know, flipping classroom models where some things are done electronically, some things that are better done in person are 
done in person. So I don't I don't know that the pandemic is changing who's going to law school and or how many people are going to law school. The numbers are pretty stable in that regard, but the nature of legal education is changing because of technology and the pandemic rapidly accelerated the the reach of technology into education. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about like at least here our LLM program during the pandemic so many of our students the international students couldn't get here you know through all all those things but it seems like that's now bounced back and yeah although there are many excellent LLM programs around the country that are totally online mm-hmm. or or mostly online and it's something we're going to explore uh we're we're going to be developing distance learning programs, starting with master's level programs for non-lawyers. Okay. Say you work in health, the healthcare industry or in compliance or in HR. There are so many fields where non-lawyers use law on a regular basis. Uh, we want to offer a master's level degree program to those folks. And those degrees will be fully or almost fully online. Then we'll see where it goes with other LLM programs, the JD program. Right. Expanded out. How has how have platforms like the ChatGBT, how did that factor in? Kind of a new thing. Yeah. I, I'm not generally someone who sees something new and jumps to, oh my gosh, this changes everything. But I have to say, my first look at ChatGBT, I had the sense of this ultimately is going to change everything. It's the first time I saw concretely the way artificial intelligence could very significantly change the way law is practiced and the way we educate our students. To start here in the law school, we have to now be really careful in the kinds of assignments we give students if we want it the work that they do to be truly their own work. Basically, anything you ask a student to do outside of class could be impacted by them using ChatGPT or other platforms or its successors. And note, we're still in the really early stages of this. This technology is going to get better and better and better. So we're going to have to adapt to that. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of practicing law, you know, ChatGPT has already been able to get passing grades on exams. Uh, Before long, you know, if you're an associate in a law firm and you need to do a first draft of a memo, you'll be doing your client a service by relying on ChatGPT just to use it as a shorthand. Billable hour. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to save clients lots of money. And what does that mean in terms of lawyer employment? What's the human place in that? It's going to take a while to unfold, but this is really the dawning of the age of artificial intelligence changing how any knowledge-based field is practiced and then how the people who educate people heading towards those knowledge-based fields do education. So it's it's a big deal. Yeah. Interesting time to be a dean. It is. It is. Is there uh, any advice you have to people thinking about law school? Well, I, I, and in a way, this gets back to the rankings where we started. You know, I think people considering law school need to think about, you know, why they're interested in the field. And, and most people going to law school don't have a really concrete idea of what they're going to do. They have a general direction and that's fine. But if they make the decision, they think they want to go to law school. I think they need to think about several factors in deciding where to go. School's reputation, both locally and nationally, cost, uh, the programs that the school has, and 
kind of the intangible feel of a school that you can only get by physically visiting the place. Mm-hmm. That advice hasn't changed. I would have given that same advice 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, and I think most students are really good consumers for the most part and in assessing you know, why they pick a certain school. Money, location, programs, reputation, people. Well, and our beautiful bricks. Uh, if I, you know, if I had visited this campus before I chose where to go to law school, you know, I might have chosen this place and this climate over the wonderful but cold, snowy place I went. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anything to add in closing? Uh, no, thanks for having me. Uh, I, you know, I've been here eight months, and this is a really dynamic, exciting place at a really dynamic time. So stay tuned. I think great things ahead for the law school. Great. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. See you around. Thanks for joining us for The Explainer and a whole new season of Explaining. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's show is sponsored by the upcoming Inter-American Law Review Symposium, The Legal and Economic Consequences of Haitian Reparations to France and French Restitution to Haiti, March 24th at the Lakeside Auditorium on the University of Miami Coral Gables campus. For more information, visit law.miami.edu. Thank you.